Welcome to the Working Mama podcast, a show that provides real-world tips, tricks, and advice to all working mamas on how they can have a career, family, and hopefully one day break the glass ceiling. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of the Working Mama podcast. This is episode 101, so massive thanks to everyone that supported the first 100 episodes. And I thought I'm going to start with an absolute amazing dynamic person with Nitty in this episode. We chat everything. Uh, as I think as we joke around at the end, if the government actually listened to all our suggestions and recommendations in this podcast, you know, the world would definitely be a better place. We talk about gender diversity, gender equity, mental load, returning back to work after maternity leave, uh, confidence, uh, gender bias, pretty much you name some of the key topics associated being with being a working mum and we cover it and it's an absolutely amazing conversation. If you haven't heard of Nitty, she's a coach and a master NLP practitioner She's a DNI consultant, keynote speaker and facilitator, freelance general counsel, and just, I think, all around a great person. She loves empowering women to shine bright. She believes in equity, fairness, and compassion. And she's also passionate about doing the work to create the world that she wants to live in. So I really hope that you get so much out of today's episode. As always, I would love if you could leave a rating or review and even share this podcast with a friend or work colleague that you think would be interested in this topic or any other topics that we talk about uh, relating to being a working mum on this podcast. This episode is brought to you by The Working Mama Village, a membership and community to support you in navigating the jungle of being a working mum. Doors will be opening next Monday, the 10th of July, so be sure to check out for all the launch specials. Let's get into today's episode with Nitty. Welcome, Nitty, to the Working Mama podcast. How's your day going so far? It's okay. I've just put the kids down. A little <laughs> bit of a speaking of being a working mama. Yeah. Um, I had to leave them with the husband because I was like, I can't do this anymore. My little one was screaming at me. Daddy. Um, so I was like, nope, okay. I'm yeah. out. <laughs> How old are your kids? So my oldest is turning nine in April and my youngest is three and a half yeah very good yes yeah. no complete I completely understand with the younger one I've got a four and a half year old and a two-year-old so no I fully get it so <laughs> you feel my pain <laughs> well and truly there's just some and the nice, joy yeah. and the, the joy, joy. It's pain and joy yeah. <laughs> the good and the bad with all parts <laughs> absolutely <laughs> So why don't we get into it? Those that don't know you, how would you best describe yourself? How would I best describe myself? Good question. So I am a mum. I'm also a, well, actually I'm a jack of all trades. Like I kind of do a whole lot of different things. I didn't used to. I used to be a lawyer for a long time and that was kind of my profession and that was it. And then over the pandemic, I had a little bit of a I don't know, identity crisis, let's say. 
and <laughs> decided actually I don't want to do just one thing. I want to do many things and I want to lean into the things that get me excited and give me joy and give me purpose and meaning. And so now I am a coach. I work with women to empower them to essentially get stuck. So, you know, women who've been doing the same thing for a long time and are sitting there thinking, do you know what? There must be more. That's my ideal client working with someone like that to really help them just get unstuck and move forward. I also do some coaching and gender equity work with Grace Papers, who are in the sort of parental transition space, sort of empowering people to really approach those with an empowered lens and creating, I guess, initiatives with organisations to further gender equity. And I do some diversity, equity, inclusion consulting as well on the side and I'm still a lawyer as well so I do a little bit of that too so yeah so I get there and I kind of enjoy it I love doing lots of different things it's kind of fun yeah the, the portfolio career and as I saw from yourself on LinkedIn you'd done a post recently of saying it's such a change in mindset where you knew you were going from getting a paycheck to now oh where's I've got a sort of fight you know it's almost like finding food out in the in the wild a little bit but you know you've got to yeah. go actively searching it so just understanding like what was that I know so much happened during the pandemic what was that process for you to go oh you know everyone sort of st- finishes uni yes I'm on a on a track and then during the pandemic which everyone went through these like mm. oh my goodness what am I doing like what was that process for you Yeah, it was kind of a mix of a few different things. So I firstly have autoimmune issues. And so the pandemic for me was quite scary, to be honest. And especially in the first year and a half where things were very unknown, you know, we were still building, creating vaccinations and things like that. So for me, being someone who was at risk, the pandemic kind of woke me up a little bit. And I kind of started thinking, (laughs) you know what, all those things I've been thinking that one day I will do, I've got to start doing them because one day, you know, may never come otherwise. And so that was, that was part of it for me. The second thing was that as I started writing on LinkedIn, weirdly, about things that I cared about, like equity, like inclusion, mental health, pregnancy loss, all sorts of things. As I started writing about these things, I started realizing that it was plugging a hole that I'd kind of always known was there. Like there was always this part of me that was kind of thinking, am I really going to only ever retire? Like, am I going to retire as a lawyer? And that's going to be my entire legacy is having been a corporate lawyer. And it always used to make me feel a little bit uncomfortable But I was like, you know, but, you know, it's too late now. I've been doing this for, you know, nearly 20 years. What else would I do, et cetera, et cetera. And so that thought pattern started to disrupt itself Mm. during the pandemic because as I started to write and engage with people and then eventually write articles and be on podcasts and, you know, get all these other fantastic opportunities, I started to realise actually there was potentially more out there and maybe I could do something else and maybe, you know, 
maybe that was actually a possibility. And so as I started to lean into that way of thinking more and more, I started to talk to more and more people about what that might look like and started to really try and understand other people's journeys as well. But there was still a part of me that was like, oh, but I don't know. And, you know, who's going to. It's that certainty as well of, oh, yeah, exactly. I know. It's all of it. And it's also financial that, the security, title, the title as well that comes with being a lawyer. I know because my husband's one, he's like, oh, but what yeah. would I do? And his identity is, is wrapped up as part of that, even though it's not what yeah. he's really passionate about. Yeah, exactly. So it's all of that. And financial security was a big one for me as well. And, you know, going, as you said, from that, you know, guarantee of a paycheck every month and knowing that like on the 15th of every month I get paid (laughs) you know and therefore I get paid on the 15th so if I'm paying my credit cards on the 12th or the 13th or whatever it is then you know everything kind of lines up and it's all kind of nice and comfortable and going from that to owning my own business was very scary for me but it kind of got to a point where I was like do you know what I just have to take the plunge and In the end, I think what got me over the line was two things. One was the idea of a portfolio career and using my legal skills and legal career to essentially form the foundation of this house I was trying to build, right? So I could do that. And the second thing was a realisation that, do you know, I'm not going to lose my skills if I go off and try and become a solopreneur. In fact, I'm going to gain new ones. And entrepreneurship is something that's so valued nowadays in the corporate world that if I've gone out there and I've started my own business or businesses and, you know, decided actually this isn't for me or it didn't work, I don't think that would be a problem in terms of going back to get a job as a lawyer again, Mm. right? So there were a couple of things for me that really sort of you know, made me kind of tip over and go, do you know what, I'm going to lean into this and I'm going to give this a go and see if it can become something. Yeah. And how does it feel now? So reflecting on where you were, you know, four years ago, pre-pandemic, and then where you are now, how do you, how do you feel and how do you think that transition's gone from, I guess, your old you, when I say in inverted commas, to who you are today? Oh, it's surreal. And it feels like I have grown, I don't know, more in the last couple of years, particularly in the last year, than I've grown in the last 20. Like, That's you know, and it's, and it's just so many different things as well. Like it's not just the business, it's the learning that comes along with that. So I've really invested a lot in personal development and other things along those lines as well to assist me in coaching, but, you know, also from a personal perspective. And so even doing some, you know, some of those kind of things, I'm like, I know myself better now, you know, and that's a huge win as well. Now, it's amazing just to hear those journeys because you hear a lot about even now the patchwork, sorry, the portfolio career and and how things have changed for people pre and post COVID. I was only driving into the city today with my husband because we both had to go in and I was saying how different our lives were. I was even reflecting on we refer now as pre and post COVID lockdown and lives and things, but it's also had a significant impact on the way we work, uh, the flexibility people get or not get. And it's really changed in so many ways that, you know, five years ago, we would never have predicted some of these topics yeah. coming to the surface. 
hundred percent. It's it's pretty amazing. You know, I think the pandemic, even when you think about things like flexibility and the way we work nowadays and you know, just the way that's all shifted, it's it's incredible. You know, who would have thought that in a couple of years we'd be living and working completely differently to how we've done it for so many years before yeah. that. And what then impact do you see in both positive as well as negative that COVID and lockdowns have had, you know, for working mothers and even providing that gender equal workplace is what you were saying before? Because yeah. it definitely is coming out now that it's not all positive but all negative. Mm, so it's yeah. trying to find that balance in the middle really. Yeah. So if I start with the negative first because we can end on the positive. Um, so from a negative perspective, I think obviously through COVID, there's a lot of evidence to show that women were disproportionately impacted by by COVID in general. And that includes, you know, sort of jobs in the sort of caring sectors and the impact that COVID had on those sectors. You know, even in Australia, we saw, for example, just the way that childcare centres, for example, were treated and workers at childcare centres versus workers in other industries, for example, that are more male-dominated. And so there's a bias there even in the way governments addressed the impact of COVID across and different even who industries. Was, yeah, even who was the primary care and, sorry, the primary person of if you're allowed to get care and not. So exactly, all of that. And then, And then I think the other thing that we've seen through COVID is that you know, women have also born, it's probably the wrong word, but they've had the most of the caregiving responsibilities in through that period, even where potentially the woman was the higher earner mm. in the family. I think, you know, that's definitely borne out through the research that, you know, that we've seen and also the stories that women have told themselves about their own situations during COVID so I think that's that's a big negative like I think you know it's we still are living in a world that is incredibly biased when it comes to caregiving responsibilities and who is the primary caregiver versus secondary caregiver you know and even those terms in and of themselves are so problematic and you look at government policies and yes things are moving things are shifting but we're still talking about primary carers and secondary carers and we're still differentiating between maternity pay and mm. paternity pay, you know, and things like that. So I think, you know, those kind of things I don't think have really improved drastically through COVID. And I think on the other hand, you know, when you look at flexibility and flexibility is a double-edged sword as well. But when you look at flexibility, I think on the one hand, it's great that we've normalized things like working from home. Fantastic. You know, that's great. It has brought with it different issues around things like proximity bias and, you know, isolation and collaboration and what that all looks like. And I think now organisations are really starting to work through how they get their people to engage with each other in a way that's cohesive. And I think that's challenging. Equally, though, you know, we sort of have started to equate flexible working with remote working. And flexible working does not equal remote working. There's a whole lot of other ways that people do flexible working. And for me, I think that's something that's quite problematic because we seem to have forgotten about all these other types of flexible working that exist, for example, reduced hours. And I think that is a big problem. And that's where we really need to start paying some more attention, particularly when it comes to 
parents, parents to be, caregivers, you know, it's just it's something from, you know, and it's not just a, a women's issue. Like it's something I think we need to look at for fathers as well, right? You know, the biases that men face, for example, when they take up flexibility mm-hmm. in the organisation and what does that actually look like? Because we're seeing a lot of organisations around the world now increasing their leave for fathers or having equal parental leave policies in some instances. But it's one thing to have a policy, but how do you actually implement that policy? And what is the cultural change and the change management piece that sits around that policy? You know, yeah. So how are you talking to the organisation about why this is important? How are you selling the business case to people, to leaders yeah. within those you know, organisations, to managers? So that when managers have a request on their on their desk for flexible working, they don't look at it, for example, if it's from a man and go, really? Why does he need to take 16 weeks of leave or 20 weeks of leave or whatever yeah. it is, less in many parts of the world? You know, so I think it's those kind of things that we're still struggling through a lot at the yeah. moment. Even those headlines of we offer flexible work and as you say, oh, it's working from home. But you know, I was even on the weekend chatting with a friend and she said that she was having to fight for leaving work at 4.30 and she works for one of the big four banks. And she goes, yeah. I was questioned of why do I need to leave, you know, why am I leaving at 4.30 but the business needs to be present until 5. And she's like, but I've got a work phone. They can call me. I'm on the train on the way home, so I'm still checking my email. And she said, I'm more than happy to log in, but I want to get home to be with my kids. So yeah. she can be there because I think for every working parent that pretty much like 5 till 7.30, 8 o'clock of when you're getting your kids to bed, it is, yes, the witching hours, but it's also when you want to be present and there for your kids. Mm. And, you know, you might like even tonight, I quickly, I put my son to bed. I've done done a work call tonight for my corporate job and then I'm jumping on this. So I'm still like, it's just the hours but it's still being having that flexible work approach. But it's, you're right, thinking outside the square and also normalising it for both men and women. And even when I've been in a corporate environment, someone said it's actually not just flexibility for parents, but also I'm playing sport and I might want to leave mm. early and playing and that because, yeah, and I'm like, yeah, that's actually a good point. But because yeah. people through the pandemic have realised, look, I might want to do some exercise and and it's changing that you know, not just about working from home, but everything else that really surrounds exactly. it. Exactly. You're exactly right. And I think as much as I think in the early part of COVID, we might have thought that maybe, you know, presenteeism was a thing of the past. It really isn't. And it's still very much something that a lot of organisations and leaders within organisations or managers, let's say not leaders, because I don't consider them leaders if they're thinking that presenteeism is important no but um, (laughs) very much managers and probably barely need that title exactly so a lot of managers are still pushing for presenteeism and and you're right it's kind of it you know you have to ask well what's the point right what are you losing by having someone leave half an hour earlier and on the flip side what are you losing by demanding that they be there Mm -hmm. that extra half an hour when you're then encroaching upon their own personal values and things that they hold important to them in their life, right? Yeah. And inevitably what ends up happening is you get disgruntled employees that end up 
moaning about, you know, what's going on in the workplace. They all end up talking to each other about how, how horrible things are and how unfair things are. And inevitably you've got a, you know, cultural discontent and people end up leaving and people end up leaving unhappily. And when people leave unhappily, you know, word gets out, right? And so people hear what's actually going on in these organisations versus the statements that people are putting out about diversity, equity, inclusion. Mm. Yeah, and it's so important that organisations and leaders, and I will differentiate and say definitely leaders, walking the talk. And it's what you're saying earlier about dads taking parental leave and that stats show that the more males at a senior level that take parental leave that then has a flow and effect in a positive way to other males in the organization that are seeing that you know as much as people say yet you're empowered to do it you won't do it until you're generally seeing someone else do it above you yeah. And then they're, they're actually changing that, which, you know, the more parents that you, dads you particularly you speak to that have said, oh, I've taken parental leave and their view of particularly, say, sharing the mental load at home dramatically changes. Mm. And that then has such a ripple effect across society and even in workplaces as well, because they can then understand, yep, I've got those challenges as well at home. A hundred percent. And it's so, there are so many things that are wonderful about dads taking that period of time with their kids. So, you know, everything that you just mentioned, but also, you know, having that time with with their kids means that they're empowered to be with the kids, do things for their kids and get comfortable with doing those things for their kids, right? That sometimes some fathers don't necessarily get as comfortable with because they haven't spent that time. Mm. right so you know whether it's changing nappies or whatever whatever it is right you know just basic things but and those are really important things because then when you think about that bond that they have with their kids that can only you know continue to develop if you've had that time at the beginning and I think yeah I think personally I think you know it's something that should really be encouraged across the board but it takes cultural change for that Mm. to happen yeah. And I know you're really big on gender equity and there's actually a recent UK sport report that's been released in the last couple of weeks that interestingly found 98% of mothers want to work, but it takes 10 years for a mother's career to recover and get back to the same level of seniority since having children. How do you think we can start to change those mental models is what we were talking about? Because, you know, we're talking about, you know, the workforce is different, you know, portfolio careers and women wanting to still have a career, but you don't necessarily want to work five days a week. There's this notion that was created like a hundred years ago by Henry Ford about the 40 hour week, but no one necessarily wants to be 40 hours. And what makes us most productive at 40 hours compared to 30, for example, but also we do want to be mums and also have a career, but the motherhood penalty is still so alive these days mm. in um, for working mums. So what would you love to see as, as some of those shifts in, in organisations, but also I think as well in people's thinkings and attitudes? Yeah, absolutely. So I think number one, I think the financial impact is big, right? So I think if we look at things like superannuation here in Australia, that for me is a huge one, right, in terms mm. of, narrowing the gap because that is something that mums miss out on and then you know 
for a period of time. And so it means that when they do end up retiring, they retire with less. So I think that's that's a big one. I think, too, we need to start viewing parental leave not as a break in someone's career, but as a period of time where they continue to learn and grow and develop just in a completely different environment and context, right? So, yes, amen. <laughs> yeah, as I said to someone the other day, you're never going to have more challenging direct reports than the ones you have at home. <laughs> That's such a good way of putting it. <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't listen half the time. You can't just tell them what to do. You've got to negotiate with them in a way that you don't have to negotiate with people at work, yeah. you know. <laughs> so you're going to learn a hell of a lot of, you know, negotiation skills as a parent. Yes. And all sorts of other skills as well. So I think there needs to be that mindset shift in both parents and managers and organisations more broadly to go, well, hang on, what what is happening during this period of leave and what are these parents learning during that period of time and how are those skills directly transferable back into the organisation, mm. right? So I think that's that's a big one. Secondly, it's really empowering people to own this period of time in their lives, right? Like I remember my first period of parental leave, I was so naive before I went on leave and I literally thought things would be exactly the same when they when I returned to work as they were before because I was like, well, I'm good at what I do. How's anything going to change? You know, it's just going to be the same. People are going to be the same and just going to slot back in. No, 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 no. Not the case, because you realise over that period of time, you know, things change in the organisation, people move on, you might lose your um, networks, you might, you know, lose sponsors along the way, you have an information gap, potentially. So it's, well, how can I close these gaps? And I think this is something we need to really start empowering people to do before they go on parental leave so that they're planning for that period of time. Mm in a way that's going to really support them. And that doesn't mean that you, you know, forsaking time with your kids whilst you're on parental leave or, or child if you've got the one. It it just means that you're thinking about it before you go on leave and you've paid some attention to what this is going to look like during and after your parental leave. And then I think there's a role there for organisations to play and really assisting that journey and to facilitating that journey. And it's it's one of the reasons I'm really glad that I'm working with Grace Papers now because this is, you know, what they do. And so that coaching that people get along the way is so incredibly powerful because it can result in a mindset shift. And it means actually, you know, I'm not just thinking even about the next two years. I'm thinking more broadly about what I want in my professional future. So I think I think that's one thing that I think we need to really start looking at. I think also the other thing which came to light as a result of the whole, you know, Jacinta Ardern resigning sort of issue was, you know, this idea of women having it all. Yeah. I think it was the BBC article. Yeah, that, that headline, women that headline. have it all. Yeah, <laughs> the, famous, headline. the yes. famous headline. <laughs> the famous headline, everyone now knows it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I think that's, you know, this is another thing that I think we really need to address is what does that actually mean? You know, who's all? What all? Yeah. <laughs> what is all? You know, who defines what this is? And what is this, you know, and what, what happens if you don't want that all, right? 
and, and and what having it all is going to be different to me it's going to be different to you and exactly. it's going to be different to everyone exactly it's a personal thing and I think that's that's something that I think we need to start shifting language around is going well it's not about having it all it's about having your all you know and it's about defining what your all looks like mm. not just for women right for everyone Right, I think this is important. It's what are you putting into your basket? What are the things that you're carrying carrying with you? So I think, you know, I think having just just really looking at what that looks like and being able to define, okay, what are my values? What do I want in my life? How does that apply at home? How does that apply, you know, at work? How do I bring these things together? I think it's really important and I think we need to start having that conversation more and more. So I think there's that. I think then women's health, mm. I think, is a big one. You know, medicine typically has been quite male in the way, you know, research is done and men's health is far more understood than women's health in general, like health issues. And I think as a result there's a lot of stigma around talking about women's health issues Mm. in the workplace and they're important you know women who have endo or who have you know go through menopause later in life or various other things you know it's important that those conversations start coming to the surface as well and that we start recognizing that these are real issues that we need to address and we need to understand within the workplace you know fertility in general Oh, is yeah. a big one. Yep. It's huge. Yeah. Massive. Yeah. And you're going through a fertility journey and you've experienced pregnancy loss. How do you manage that? Instead, you've got to internalize it and pretend you essentially put your makeup on each day to go to work. And it's, mm. but inside, you are hollow and yeah, it's tough. And you, you, you can't necessarily always talk about it. And it's, it's really difficult. Really difficult. So there's some of the things, I mean, look, I could I could keep going forever, you know, government policies, childcare systems, you know, there's a whole raft of things. I mean, childcare is a childcare is a big one, I think. It's huge. Yeah, there's you know, so much that needs to be done. So yes. much that needs to yeah. be improved there. You know, the fact that it's so ridiculously expensive, not just here in Australia, but I think in other countries as well around the world, you know, it's a big problem and it's a big barrier to increasing female participation in the workforce yeah. because people look at, you know, the amount they're going to pay incrementally in childcare versus the amount they're going to, you know, the woman's going to earn going back to work. And unfortunately it does generally become an assessment between that and her career as opposed to overall family income. And, you know, as a result, often the decision is made that, you know, no, you know, she won't return the extra day and because that'll save a day of childcare costs and so I think we really need to look at that as yeah well. and it's just that that whole I always say you know look at your grocery bill you don't say that's x from someone's wage and that's there you go yeah and that, I'm like but it doesn't matter there's so many long-term benefits to someone even if it's like two days a week working as you say superannuation you know the biggest rise in homelessness is women over the age of 50 because they don't have the super and their some of their circumstances change and and you're thinking just I'm not saying that everyone has to work but as the study is 98% of mothers actually want to work but sometimes as mm. you know often there's these barriers and 
it always grinds me of like, oh, don't look at childcare as just the mother's income. It should be joint as the family budget. So, yeah. yeah. And actually there was one point I forgot to mention, which is a big one, <laughs> which is <laughs> around biases in the workplace and the ones that, you know, particularly women face when they're returning from parental leave. So one is around ambition bias. So this idea that suddenly, you know, as a woman, you have a child and you become less ambitious, you care less about your career. I think Mm. that's something that's really got to be busted, you know, because it's just, yes, it's true for some people, but it's not true for all women. And we tend to approach it as if it is a universal truth in many cases. So I think that's definitely something that has to change. And alongside that, I think, is benevolence bias as well, which is similar but slightly different and you know where people start saying things like oh it's okay you know you don't need to rush back you don't need to focus on your career now just focus on being at home and looking after your kids and doing that which absolutely for some women is what they want to do right but not for everyone and so again it's these biases that you know managers can bring to the table when approaching a return to work situation from women that can cause damage when it comes to career progression and the trajectory of a woman, you know, the tra- trajectory of a woman's career, essentially. Yeah. Well, that's actually one of the reasons why I actually started working mama, because someone has said to me, no, you can't be a mum and still have a career. And I was like, what? That's kind of like red rag to a bull of saying, so I can't do something. <laughs> And I was like, well, no, why can't I have a career and still be a mum? And that's that's really the backbone of, of how I started working mama because I was like, well, no, I want to work and surround myself with women that are doing it and I don't want to have to feel like I'm choosing one or the other. And, yeah. again, it's some of that ambition bias of, oh, well, oh no, you're a mum, you don't want to do that. And sometimes you're actually even made to feel guilty. Oh, really, if you have a career, then you're giving up some parts of being around with your kids or they're only young once. And I then hear that if pe- like people have got teenage kids, they're like, look, they really need me more emotionally as opposed to physically when the kids are younger. So I'm like, your kids are going to need you no matter what. Yeah. And and you've got to be around and, and present in different ways at different stages, just like when you go from a newborn up to three like I think my son the last two years of how he's just needed me in a different way but those biases as you say people assume oh mothers but no one makes those of of fathers like my husband returning back into work hasn't been like if after we've had kids oh are you okay to travel or are you okay to do no one's asked the males that but it's always to the to the mothers no, exactly 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 and I think that's that's part of the problem right you know and the flip the flip needs to happen. Like we need to start viewing men who are having children as being equal caregivers. And that needs to be, that needs to translate into the workplace as well. Yeah. And so as we're talking, you, you've said about biases and I know that you're really also really passionate about helping women get unstuck. Mm. So how can we get through some of that mentality? Because if you've heard it before from people around you that say, oh, it's all right, be with the kids or just focus on yourself for the moment. You don't need a career. But even inside, they've got this probably desire to say, no, I still want to do it. Yeah, But it's probably a little bit of themselves of that probably imposter syndrome and also their own personal confidence because people around them are saying, no, you can't, and they're going, 
but can I? And if you hear yeah. it enough times, you're probably going to believe it. Yeah, I think there are a number of things, right? I think one is around, you know, who are you talking to? Who are you surrounding yourself with? What are the networks of people that you connect with, right? And where can you seek support? So, you know, there are many, many women's business networks, for example, out there. And I think it's often a really good idea for women to remain connected to those sort of things, even when you're on leave, Mm. and to use them as sounding boards. Because you're right, like a lot of people will have gone through this and a lot of people will have thought this exact thing and come out the other side and gone, I wish I'd approached things differently. And now I know better and perhaps this is what I would have done back then. So I think, you know, having that community of women that can support you, and I know we talk sometimes about women not supporting each other, but in this context I think I've seen it's generally pretty supportive. Mm. So I think that's definitely one. I think the second thing is really doing some work to understand what you value and what's important to you I think is really critical. I've got this analogy that I came up with some time ago, which is handwich analogy. <laughs> but essentially, you know, my theory is that before we go on parentally, before we have kids, we have this sandwich that we've built up over time, which has all these fillings in it, which represent the things that are important to us from a career and life perspective, generally, right? We happily eat that sandwich. And then we go on leave because we've become a mum. And we put that sandwich to the side and we build this new sandwich, the mum sandwich. And this has got completely new feelings in it. It's different, feels different, tastes different, etc. And then we go back to work and we go, oh, my God, I've got two sandwiches. What on earth do I do with them? And what we end up doing is we jam them together and we create this monster <laughs> sandwich with all these feelings that don't go together. They don't taste good together. We don't want them all, right? But we're like, I don't know what else to do, so I'm just going to put them together and then things start falling out the side. And so I think, you know, part of the magic with working on your values is that you can start deciphering what is important and what those feelings should be and start going, okay, you know, that thing that's in there, I don't need that anymore. I'm going to delegate that to someone else, right? So if you have the resources, for example, and cleaning is not your thing, delegate, right? Someone else can do the cleaning. It's not important to me anymore. Or there's this other thing, which actually my partner loves doing that thing. So they can do that, right? Or actually there are other things that now are really important to me within the workplace. And so, you know, I'm going to make sure that those things are present within my working environment. And I think once you start doing that, you start realising for yourself where things are not aligned with your personal values. And I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned over time is that one you have to back yourself because otherwise you're going to live with regret and you're going to keep saying to yourself I wish I'd done something about that back then or said something yeah right so I think you've got to back yourself but two also knowing that you know look you know job market isn't always great it's not always possible to move but there are options right? There are options. So you just need to keep your mind open to the possibility of other options. Now, alongside all of that is getting on the front foot with biases and flipping the conversation a little bit, right? To 
ensure that people know you're committed to your career and you care about where you're going professionally and all the rest of it. And, you know, leading with those sorts of things, I think, in conversations can be quite powerful because it can get managers thinking differently about you and what you want Mm. at that time. So I think there's some of the things. And, and, you know, even sometimes you can guess what biases are going to come up, you know. So doing that work in advance and going, okay, what might I face in the workplace and how can I address it? Yeah, I think it's so powerful. I often say to, like, women that working mothers and even last night I was actually responding to someone on LinkedIn and saying, what's my biggest, what are your return to work tips? And I was like, number one, have a discussion about the mental load and number two, know your values and your why because that can be such a guiding framework for you. If you know what is so important to you, as you said, what's in your sandwich, it can just help in so many other ways of decisions and and people go, oh, I never actually realise and think about it that way. But once they do the work, it's like this light bulb and they're like, oh, that's really clear. And yeah, they feel so much more confident in themselves and they get less mum guilt and they can shut out that noise as a result. And create boundaries, which I yes. think is really key too because I think that's that comes with it, right, because when yeah. you know what your values are and what's important, you can go, for example, if your health is really important, right, you can say, well, no, I need this time to look after me. And so it doesn't matter if, you know, someone else wants me to do this piece of work right now. I need to spend this time looking after me. I'm going to pick it up tomorrow morning. You know, whatever it is, those sorts of things, I think when you know what your values are, it's a lot easier to be firm with your boundaries and to have boundaries that actually stick as well. And so if you are experiencing some of those biases in a workplace, like I know that I've had people question me if I can travel with work and and it actually surprised people when I said, yeah, I can travel. I've got a really supportive husband. Even I went overseas with work last year and the amount of people were like, oh, you've gone away for eight days and how did your husband cope? It was more about how did he cope? And it was interesting, some of those conversations. And he was like, yeah, I rocked it. Like he he had the house probably in better order than if I'm at home. Like how do you, is it best just to call out some of those biases if you're, and if people are saying, oh, can you do this? Or and, and some of those biases around being a working parent, like, because you can get faced with it. And particularly if it's coming from someone a little bit more senior, you may go, oh, and then try and maybe either accept it or it's hard to deflect. What tips yeah. do you have for people? I would say now, having learned over the years, because this wouldn't have been my approach back then, but (laughs) I would say now I actually would respond in a bit of a tongue-in-cheek way, you know, what makes you think it's difficult. Yeah. Ask them, you know, just get them to put in words the implied, the things that they've implied to their question. And it's interesting and to see that they're like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because it puts them on the spot. Like, you know, you feel like you're being put on the spot, put them back on the spot. Like, if, you know, I think that for me, I think especially now that I do coaching, you know, it's obviously something that, you know, you use quite a lot in coaching is just throwing questions at people and going, and, you yeah. know. <laughs> when you hear this what do you think right and it's almost the same with some of these biases I think it's just asking them to tell you more yeah no it's so good so good 
Is there anything else that you'd, you'd like to add just in relation to gender equity and some of your experiences in, you know, even working in law to, to now your coaching experience in your portfolio career that you can give some some tips and advice to, to working mothers to, you know, from, as you said, from your mm. experience? Yeah, look, I think it's really, I mean, it's it's different, right? Like my life is quite different now to what it used to be when I was in corporate. And it doesn't mean that I'm working less. Like in many cases, I'm often working more now than I was back when I was in corporate because it's my own thing and I have to build it and I have to put in the time and effort to make it work. So, you know, it's not as if becoming a solopreneur or an entrepreneur is, you know, the answer to those types of issues around, you know, balance, integration, etc. But having said that, I think the biggest thing that I would say is start doing that work on who you are personally, because we often, as women in particular, get lost between this mm. identity of me, the career woman, and me, the mom. And in amongst that somewhere, we lose our sense of self. Yeah. And we forget to connect with who that is and what's important to us. And I think doing that work that we were t- talking about before around values and what's important to you, I think is really key. And also reminding you of your, you know, reminding yourself of your skills and what you bring to the table, I think is really important too. Because we do all have, you know, these superpowers that we bring with us. And I think it's important to remember that. Equally, I think remembering that there are options that you don't have to settle. And it's one of the things that really pushed me towards saying and doing more in the gender equity space was the number of stories that I heard from women who become mums, gone back to work, faced issues at work, which, you know, were really discriminatory issues in large part. Mm. And then they go, well, do you know what? I've got a job. I've got flexibility. I should be grateful for that. I can focus on my career in five years' time, you know, when the kids are older. And I think it's it's that mindset. Obviously, there's a systemic issue there that needs to be addressed. But I think from a personal perspective, I would say it's that mindset that needs to shift. And I think you do that by knowing who you are and know, knowing your own value. Yeah. And also then, yeah. And yeah, as you said, yeah. Reminding yourself of those skills. You've, you've generally been working, you know, 15, 20 years. Mm. Most likely if you're less, you're probably (laughs) going to be educated, you know, to degree or, you know, have something behind you. And that just, just because like you've had a child, you don't lose those skills and that knowledge and experience. As you said, at the start, you only have added to your skill set by, as you said, children that are definitely going to be your toughest uh, employees that you'll ever face. So it's so true, but, you know, doing that internal work is so important and I think it will also set mm. you up for for so much more success and probably that internal confidence as well. 100%. Absolutely yeah. agree. Now what do you do to fill your cup, Nitty, and really <sighs> have that keeping your, your, your why and your values front of mind? Yeah, so look, apart from the things that I do on a day-to-day basis, which many of which do fill my cup, I think for me it's, you know, leading into those sort of fun times with the kids, you know, the being silly and dancing and singing and, you know, just having fun. I think that's really important to me. 
But equally, you know, sometimes just having that downtime where I'm like, you know, I'm just going to read a book or I'm going to do some yoga or do some exercise or whatever it is, or take myself off to a spa and have a massage. You know? <laughs> Why um, not? Exactly. Or catch up with friends, you know. I mean, there are so many things I think I do to fill my cup. And I think sometimes it's easy in amongst work and everything else in life to forget about some of those things. In fact, I was talking to someone about this the other day and I was like, you know, make yourself a list of the things that give you joy and every day reflect on what you've done to bring that joy into your life and see what emerges from that because you'll see a pattern emerging from it. And that in itself can be quite a powerful realisation to go, oh, I've been neglecting myself, mm. you know. So, yeah, so there's some of the things I do, you know. I like going out, like eating good food, yeah, like travelling, yeah. not that I've done much of that of late, but, you know, that's going to start again hopefully. Yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. I see you've yeah. got a trip to the UK coming yeah, up, which is very, do. very exciting. It's very exciting. <laughs> now where can people get in touch with you? So the best place to get in touch with me is on LinkedIn at the moment. I am building my website, so it's a work in progress. Hopefully. It's been a work in progress for a long time. Yeah. But <laughs> it's it's nearly there. <laughs> but in the meantime, LinkedIn is definitely where I hang out the most. Fantastic. We'll, we'll include the link to your profile in the show notes. So definitely go check her out because there's always amazing content and uh, very thought-provoking content. Um, that, and that's exactly how I came across you. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for today's chat. I've loved it. Been so insightful. And I have to say, when I was preparing for this, I was like, which way do we go? Because there's so much we can talk about. And I thought <laughs> exactly, that's exactly what's happened. We've gone from yeah. biased, mental load and gender equity, you name what we've discussed it, I think. So if everyone just listens to what we've talked about tonight, the government endorses it all and corporates do what we said. I think the world's going to be yeah, a better place. Exactly. <laughs> We've solved all the issues tonight. No. Yeah. <laughs> we can only dream. We live in We hope. can only dream, yes, and we can only do what we can do to create the change that we want to see in the world, right? Yes. Well, hopefully out of this conversation it may have sparked you to even think about your values, think about your why, and if it has, we'd love to hear you know, how it's, if it's helped you along the way. So let us know and definitely reach out and and best of luck. And Nidhi, thank you so much. Best of luck with building your business and your portfolio career. And I look forward to watching it grow through your LinkedIn post. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catch up. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, Mama is M-U-M-M-A or website www.workingmama.com.au. I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle. And I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week. Thank you.